Well, welcome to Palestine Deep Dive. Um, by our calculation, I think this is possibly the 60th or, or more uh, show that we've done. Um, we're actually this evening, uh, it's, uh, we're here in uh, the UK. Welcome to all of you joining us from around the world. Um, literally before we just came on air, the, the, the RAF flight carrying um, the Queen's uh, coffin from Edinburgh to London flew directly over here. Um, and is is going to Heathrow Airport, and probably it's it's just landed now. So we are having this discussion uh, at a at a very uh, interesting time, um, a sad time for a lot of people uh, in this country and around the world, but also a very interesting time because um, we uh, will be focusing on the Middle East, um, but from a British domestic point of view. Um, and just by way of saying, I mean the the the, the, the late. Uh, Queen of the United Kingdom took a quite interest in the Palestinian issue, we understand. Uh, she was overheard saying how dreadful it was uh, when she was shown a map of the uh, camps and uh, the occupied territories uh, in the Palestinian areas many years ago. Anyway, without further ado, we're joined by Naomi Wimble Idrissi. And it's an absolute delight to have you here, Naomi, with us. Thank you very much for joining us. I think you're in uh, in North London. Um, That's correct. Yes, Mark. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Um, and uh, welcome to all of you joining us from uh, around the world. Um, Naomi, uh, we've met, we, we were just discussing beforehand many times in the past, but we've probably been on various platforms uh, and we can't quite remember where we did last meet. But that doesn't matter because we've actually got something else in common, which is the fact of the matter is that you have been uh, elected uh, to the uh, ruling body of the British Labour Party. It's called the National Executive Committee. Some people looking in might think the NEC refers to the National Exhibition Centre in Birmingham, but no, it does not. It refers to the governing body of the British Labour Party. The seats for this body are hard fought over, uh, and especially the constituency section. And uh, Nemi, you remember that line I think it came from some American politician who said that showbiz, show, uh, politics is show business for ugly people. And what he was saying was that he was talking about the he was talking about the professional politicians, I believe, because back oh, in the day, as you recall, the the fight for these constituency seats was amongst in the constituency section members of parliament. And uh, every year we would vote. Um, you and I, we would probably be voting for the most left wing candidates. Um, uh, and, but uh, when Tony Blair became leader of the Labour Party, as part of his reforms of the Labour Party, what they called um, the, the, his democratic reforms, which were actually, as far as we could all make out, but just the opposite of that, yeah. He, yeah. they decided that they were going to get rid of these MPs, that the show business was going to go, and they were going to open it up to ordinary members of, um, of the Labour Party, hoping that uh, lack of name recognition would mean that various leftists, such as Naomi and myself, would be kept off it. But what happened, of course, is that given half a chance, the members uh, voted for people such as Naomi and myself many years ago. But Naomi's just been elected. And that's the most marvellous thing, um, because she's been a very brave, outspoken member of the Labour Party. And I just actually wanted to begin, Naomi, because I was talking to... Um, Omar, our show host earlier, and we were saying, I mean, why is Naomi doing this now? You could be having a nice, quiet life, 
And uh, because because the one thing that you'll probably find more than I more than I did actually is that you're going to be running into some really quite unpleasant people. Um, <laughs> so I, I have been warned. I have. Been why, yes. Yeah. Why? Why, Naomi? Have you, as a mm. member of the Labour Party, a prominent uh, campaign, prominent socialist, promised Jewish socialist? Why have you? Why did you decide to stand? Um, and tell us something about what happened in the run-up to that, because I think that also, uh, at some stage recently, in all the, the terrible machinations of Labour, you were suspended and reinstated, and now you've had this ultimate victory. So, uh, good for you. But tell us how it happened and why. Oh goodness, right? Yes. Well, I, I do probably need to have my head examined. Um, but no, it seemed to be a very important thing for one of us, somebody on the left with a pro-Palestinian outlook to do. Um, why? Well, <laughs> I mean, uh, unlike you, Mark, who've got the sort of history of the Labour Party going back a few decades at your fingertips, I only joined in 2015. I joined because Jeremy Corbyn had been elected leader. And he was somebody who I knew of already because prior to that, for a good number of years, I've been one of uh, many Jewish socialists who have actively supported the cause of justice for Palestine. And um, Jeremy was somebody who was part of that movement. So to have him at the head of uh, Britain's leading opposition party. I mean, um, your viewers may not know that we have a sort of two-party um, oppositional system by which really, uh, well, definitely over the past few generations, only those, only the Tories, the Conservative Party or Labour, the Labour Party have ever led governments. So that's the situation. So the Labour Party is a very important organisation. Historically, it was founded by and has close links with the organised labour movement, the trade unions. And it's meant to be the parliamentary voice of ordinary working people. So it is natural that it should support um, people fighting oppression, such as the Palestinians. Uh, it hasn't always done so. We'll probably discuss that at some point in our chat today. Um, but uh, it, it wasn't... It wasn't seen to be necessarily the natural home in the early 2000s under um, under Tony Blair as prime minister and leader of the party for people of the left, because he'd taken the party in quite a, a sort of neoliberal um, tinkering around with with the capitalist system sort of direction. And he certainly wasn't somebody who was going to show any great sympathy for um, a Palestinian opposition to Israeli occupation. So um, lots of us joined the party um, and very quickly it became clear that Jewish members of the party could play a specific role because the people of the right wing, the right wing faction, those loyal to Tony Blair and those loyal to um, the system in the UK to the establishment as it exists, found that they could make common cause with those who had long been criticising and attacking the Palestine Solidarity Movement on the grounds of anti-Semitism. So this is this is a long-standing project um, of the Zionist movement to try and undermine and portray as anti-Semitic anybody who is critical of Israel. 
So, but we knew all about that because we faced it and tried to deal with it and, and develop the arguments and listen to the arguments of the other side, you know, how do they try and justify this? So we could see what was happening when these sort of accusations were thrown at Jeremy and those associated with him. And that's why we formed a small grouping called Jewish Voice for Labour. Uh, yes, I Which, wanted to come on to that yeah. in a minute, um, Nehemi, okay. if, if that's all right, because I was interested listening to you talking about um, the time of Tony Blair. Um, of course, uh, this was also the time uh, when he was prime minister that uh, he took Britain into war in Iraq with um, President mm. Bush. But at the time, um, told the National Executive Committee and he told Claire Short, the minister at the time, uh, and mm. Robin Cook, who he hoped they would support him, but never did, of course. Um, mm. That in 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 response, there was going to be this roadmap uh, for peace yes. uh, in Palestine. And John Prescott, who was then deputy leader, was very uh, keen in trying to persuade those of us who were rather doubtful that this was a a, mm. um, a serious proposition to get behind um, Tony Blair. And I, I only say that as for interest for you because mm. when the actual as, as you were just explaining to people who are looking at the National Executive Committee, some it's some people might compare it to a Politburo, I suppose. Mm. But it's actually it's, it's it's democratic, you see, as you know, and it comes from these different constituencies. And actually, you should be able to have um, a say over policy. Um, ah. But it's going to be very interesting to see what you think you might be able to do. You tell us something about the people who you got elected with, and, okay. and what you hope to do because the a general election may not be too far away, perhaps two mm. years, perhaps shorter. Um, but the Labour Party has gone off really um, back to where it was under New Labour in many respects. So it's back mm. to square one. So what do you yeah. what do you hope to do? Well, I haven't really answered your question about why I chose to take this, take on this poisoned chalice at this stage. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's uh, consistent with answering what you've just what you've just put to me. Um, so having formed this organisation, we worked very closely and tried to develop alliances with many other small groups on the left and individuals, of course, who had the same sympathies and who also wanted to see Jeremy Corbyn succeed as leader. Um, and it came to a point, yes, I was suspended. So many people have been suspended. Some have got back in. Some have uh, been expelled permanently. Um, um, I was suspended and, and readmitted with a slap on the wrists. Let's not go into that unless people want to talk about it in more detail later. Um, but it came to a point when the, the left groups were getting together to think about who should stand for election to the NEC um, right at the beginning of this year that it suddenly seemed logical to put someone like me forward who had a record of standing up against the accusations of anti-Semitism, which had been used as the Ford report, a very important report which came out recently looking at the internal workings of the party. The Ford report had identified that the, the disciplinary system including anti-Semitism allegations, have been used as a factional tool. They've been used mm. by the different factions in the party, primarily the what we call the right-wing faction. Mm. Somebody needed to stand up to them. Now, there were already on the NEC four uh, members who represented the left from the last time around. So there, there were more, actually, but one or two of those were not going to stand again. So we wanted to make sure we could replace those four. Uh, three of them were standing again. And 
there was a, a possibility of getting five people onto the NEC in the CLP section. And in the discussions with our, our other people on the left, my name was put forward. I mean, I'm one of a number of people in Jewish Voice for Labour who've got quite a high profile in the party for defending the left and for, put, and for putting forward um, uh, left-wing policies. And um, people said, OK, um, if she's willing to do it, if she's full enough to do it, we'll back her. So in the end, and it took a lot of negotiating, I can assure you, the left is very fractious and finds it difficult to form what we call a slate, you know, a list of um, mm. candidates mm. who everybody will rally around. But in the end, we had 13 organisations supporting a slate of five, three sitting members, myself, and another um, young woman who's made a name for herself as the chair of Young Labour called Jess Barnard. Um, and we waged a campaign as a united grouping and it was very effective and it obviously answered a need for many thousands of Labour Party members who have felt themselves to be marginalised. Uh, because they have been, some have been suspended, some have been expelled, a lot have left in despair. But of well, those remaining... Just throw that one in there as a as, mm. as, as you know. I mean, you you, you won and uh, and congratulations. But at the same time, that turnout was very low. I think I think when um, Jeremy Corbyn was leader, about two hundred odd thirty two hundred and thirty thousand members were voting, mm -hmm. um, and that fell away to seventy odd thousand. I think. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. is a pretty pretty enormous. But look, I, Naomi, the thing is, um, with the, I I do remember when. Um, you know, for what it's worth, I was working at the UN when, first of all, I began to read about this uh, about anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Um, and bearing in mind that I mean, I joined it when I was seven, you know, when I was fifteen or whatever, nineteen seventy-seven. And like lots of other people in the Labour Party, grown up with uh, Jewish socialists um, in our constituency parties, um, I have to say, in all of that time, I never ever heard a single person in the Labour Party talk about an anti-Semitism problem, which is not to say that it, it may not have been around. But I wouldn't have been the first person to pick it up, but nobody, mm -hmm. nobody ever said it was an issue. And of course, and you'll remember this, I mean, the British Labour Party has had a, a very powerful Jewish socialist tradition. And I grew up with the, uh, the likes of Ian Mikado, and Leo Absey, who was a, a friend of our families. Um, oh, right. they, they could never... They would never have believed that there was an anti-Semitism problem in the Labour Party. Gerald Kaufman, I knew him very well too. And they, none of them, Gerald Kaufman, of course, Nem, as you know, very uh, supportive of the Palestinian cause. Yes. So what on earth happened? I mean, nobody can, there must have been, I mean, I've spoken to some Labour MPs who are involved in the disciplinary process and they said, well, there was, you should have seen it. And they, they, I, I'm sure with a membership of half a million, you're bound to have some anti-Semites and Islamophobes and racists come in. But although, why on earth you'd want to join the Labour Party as an anti-Semite or a racist or whatever, it's mm. beyond me. But tell mm. me, how did this all come about? Because it was just total mystery to all of us. Yes, I'm sure it is. It's complicated. Um, goodness. I mean, first of all, no political party is free of all kinds of bigotry and prejudice. and, and But usually... I mean, there's a lot of it about there in society, isn't it? We always, there are people who will utter crass remarks about other people from different backgrounds, from different ethnicities, quite often unaware that they're doing anything wrong, 
there needs to be constant education and discussion. And we've always said that if you want to deal with anti-black racism or anti-Muslim bigotry or anti-Semitism or homophobia or all these kind of prejudices, you need a lot of open discussion, free flow of, of, of opinions and views so that people can air views that may be offensive to some, but can then be challenged and dealt with. That's the way it should be dealt with. So I've no doubt that there is in Labour Party as elsewhere, um, a sort of undercurrent of, of foolish ideas about Jews. You know, Jews are very wealthy, Jews are a bit greedy, Jews are good with money, Jews look after one another. I mean, there are all sorts of um, tropes about Jews that, um, that are current. But um, let me refer you to a survey done, I think it was 2017, by the Institute for Jewish Policy Research, which looked at attitudes to Jewish people. And it made a very interesting distinction because what it said was that although you find in the general population, and Labour Party was no different to this, that there are sort of three to 5% of people who have sort of quite a number of consistently nasty beliefs about Jews. You have maybe 10% who have one or two little silly prejudices about Jews. And those people, the people doing the survey, said those people were ones who have a smattering of pre prejudices about Jews or anybody else. They're not anti-Semites. They hold a few anti-Semitic ideas. Now, that distinction might sound uh, like a set of excuses to some people who want to suggest that there's this wave of, of anti-Semitism in labour. But in fact, it just reflects the society in which people live. They're, they're, these are not people who are a threat to Jews or who would discriminate against Jews in an employment situation or who would publicly denounce uh, and, and upset Jewish people. They have some ideas which need to be discussed and dealt with, as with other prejudices. So how did we come to a situation where under Jeremy Corbyn, we're told that the Labour Party is awash with anti-Semitism and that, you know, it has to be, all this terminology comes out, rooted out, you know, zero tolerance, expel them all. Um, our deputy leader, Angela Rayner, is on record as saying that if, if thousands and thousands had to be expelled in order to get rid of, uproot this terrible virus of uh, anti-Semitism, then so be it. This is the kind of language that that we've had to get used to and of course what happened was that they changed the definition of what anti-semitism is and it didn't happen overnight this has been going on for decades i can recommend a book that i'm just reading now by anthony lerman who used to be the head of the institute for jewish policy research and he's studying the way the whole conception about what anti-semitism is how it should be um, combated, how Jewish populations can be project, protected, the role of Israel in that whole equation and where Zionism fits in. It's, yes. it's absolutely fascinating. Yes. And basically now in a situation yeah. where expressions of opposition to, to Zionism, the suggestion that Israel, Israel is not the solution to anti-Semitism because it, it's, it's critical to the Zionist idea that if you have an Israeli state, if you have a Jewish state, anti-Semitism will be solved. Now, obviously, this has proved not to be the case. Well, so the fight this, against anti-Semitism yeah. shifts to a fight in defence of, of Israel. 
and yes, on that Danny, basis, I, that's what I'd, I'd, I would like to come on to that. But the 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 issue mm. of um, uh, criticizing Israel, supporting the Palestinian, and and, and how this is, has been interwoven into all of this. But a couple of comments <laughs> from uh, from folk around uh, Louise in mm -hmm. Ramsgate says. Um, Many congratulations on your victory in the NEC elections. Um, please, can you? We'll get on to this in a minute. We will because, we're, but we, we will we will come back to this, Louise. Please, can you help me understand why someone like Luke Akehurst, who actively lobbies for Israel, a state mm. now widely acknowledged to be practicing the crime of apartheid, is able to remain in the party and even be an elected representative on the NEC? Uh, where is the justice here? Why should people stay? Um, and Mr. R. Waters, who could well be Mr. Roger Waters, who's what a great spokesperson Naomi Wimborne and Drissi is for the working class. Uh, solidarity. So there you go. Naomi, now the yeah. thing is, I mean, when I, again, when I was growing up, um, you know, the very famous socialists in the, in the Labour Party, uh, yeah, well, yeah. there was a, Robert Maxwell, of course, was one, but we did, he was MP for this. <laughs> constituency where I'm sitting now we don't spend too much time talking about Robert Maxwell unfortunately because uh, but we we but we do we can talk about um uh, Ian Mikado Phil Pyroton from the Communist Party um mm -hmm. Rennie Short uh Frank Alorn a whole panoply of great Jewish socialists uh, inside and outside the British mm -hmm. Labour Party now when I was growing up again many of them were members of an organization organization called Poel Zion yes and um you know, someone like Ian Mikado, for instance, he would say, you know, he was very he was very rooted into this Jewish socialist idea, he supported the kibbutz. Uh, but it was very much plucky Israel against the whole of the rest of the world back then in the 60s and the 70s. I wasn't around in the 60s, but I got to know people like him in the late 70s and early 80s. But there was also quite clear from them that they supported the Palestinians. And something, something has happened. To, to because the, the Labour Party, I mean, perhaps you could just not just the Labour Party, but beyond that, I wonder if you could give us a fairly tight, if you can, but historical explanation mm -hmm. for the kind of Bund, a Poel Zionist, yeah. Poel Zion, the, 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 the Jewish socialists, the Zionists who believed in this kind of exclusive um, a Jewish state, but alongside. The internationalist Jewish uh, socialists, mm -hmm. I guess, best represented by people such as yourself, who were secular uh, and mm -hmm. who believed in human rights, whether you're Jewish, Muslim, Christian, mm -hmm. or from Mars. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't got many Martians in my constituency. Well, I'm afraid well, there's, there's a few Martians <laughs> hey. that you're about to be going for your meetings. They're from another yeah. planet. I'll tell you, Naomi, you get, get, get well, that, this is. Such a fascinating subject. I mean, I think, um, can I start with the slogan that Jewish Voice for Labour has on its banner? It says, always with the oppressed, never with the oppressor. And this is what Marek Edelman, one of the leaders of the Warsaw, Warsaw Ghetto Uprising in 1943, said was a principle that every Jew should follow just by virtue of being through what Jews go through in life always with the oppressed. And for, for many Jews on the left, this has just seemed, well, many Jews, full stop, this has just seemed self-evident. If you've got a history of centuries of persecution and exclusion and uh, being regarded as alien and unwanted in the societies where you live, you have to make common cause with the other oppressed people in the society where you live. 
And you've mentioned the Bund, the Jewish Labour Bund, which was a mass organisation of um, socialist workers in Eastern Europe, all parts of Eastern Europe, prior to the, the Second World War. Um, it was actually founded in 1897, the very same year as the World Zionist Organization was founded. So that, that's a pivotal moment, really, because basically, OK, there are so many fascinating elements in this. My grandparents were all refugees from Eastern Europe at the end of the, the 19th century and very early in the 20th century. Um, interestingly, my mother's mother came over from Kiev. She was a victim of Ukrainian anti-Semitism right at the beginning of the last century, 1903, she was the last one to come over. So you had this wave of, of Jewish emigration to various other countries because of this. And they had to, obviously, Jews everywhere were thinking, what do we do? How do we combat this terrible persecution that our communities face over and over and again through history? And one answer developed over time and, and then finally brought together under the heading of the World Zionist Organization was Jews need to get out. Jews can't live with people who are non-Jewish in non-Jewish societies because it's almost like there's this infection called anti-Semitism. That, that's a term, by the way, coined by an anti-Semitic activist in, I think he was German, William Marr, I think it was Marr. So it's a term which is used by people who hate Jews to justify their hating Jews. <laughs> so, so this was one answer. We need a state of our own. We, we can't be aliens sort of sitting like, um, uh, like, a, like a sort of foreign body in other societies anymore. We have to form our own society. That's what World Zionist Organization stood for. At the same time, there were, there were mass Jewish movements by people who were influenced by, by the growing socialist ideas at the time. Oh, of course, Zionism was, into, uh, was influenced by nationalism. It is a nationalist movement regarding Jews as a, as a people who deserve their own homeland, which is something we can discuss. It's it's fascinating and complex idea. On the other side, there are people who said, no, we're oppressed people. There are many other oppressed peoples. There is an oppressed class in the societies where we live. We have to be in solidarity with them. And they have this wonderful slogan, which I absolutely love. There's this word, doikait. It means here-ness. It means where we are, that is our home. And that was the basis on which the Bund organised, mainly in, uh, in uh, among the working classes, and of course it had its intellectual leaders. Um, and it was a fantastic and vibrant movement, right through up until the Holocaust, which took so many millions of Jewish lives, many of them not Zionists. The Bund was not a Zionist movement. It worked together with Zionists in the Warsaw Ghetto even. I mean, the fight, the fighters who put up a struggle and fought to the death against the Nazis who were setting out to exterminate them included religious Jews and secular Jews, Zionist Jews, socialist Jews, and so on. I mean, and people work together where, where required. But it was not it was nice that you acknowledged the fact that um, Israel, the project of Zion, it was seen as a progressive cause, plucky little Israel, um, because there were many socialist ideologues among those who led the early Zionist movement, people who thought that they could create some kind of utopian society that would live together with 
the indigenous people. I mean, there were also those who didn't give a damn about the indigenous people, the, the Palestinians, and really thought they didn't exist. They were just like dust. All their achievements were completely nullified. Um, but, you know, there was that strong current. So Parle Zion is, is Workers of Zion. It was, and it affiliated, it's a group of uh, left-wing Zionists who affiliated to British Labour in, I think it was 1920, going back a long time. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, this it was just assumed that if you were on the left, you would support you would support the Zionist movement. It was see, it wasn't seen as a colonizing movement of the West. It was seen as a liberating movement of persecuted Jews, and yes. that spirit was very much in the hearts of of some of the people who who propagated it. It's very interesting to read the accounts of many many Jews, as like myself, who who shifted. I mean, Israeli Jews who've come to see what the reality of Zionism means on the ground when you are you you are an oppressor. And as Mara Kaderman said, Jews should always be with the oppressor, <laughs> with the oppressor. I mean that's all very sloganistic and simplistic, but no, it's you, not, you see, Naomi. I think it's absolutely fascinating. It's, it's really important to have this debate. The problem for an awful lot of people I suspect out there is it's Everything is, you know, it's on Twitter. Everybody's got like two, three lines to write and people don't think anymore. And if mm -hmm. half of them who have been throwing these claims of anti-Semitism around could listen to you for just half an hour, they'd probably realise that, that they need to get things, they need to really understand um, the, 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 the history. Um, and, um, but you see, what what really, I, again, I was quite taken aback because when, when you were elected, there was this ferocious reaction. And I yes. read it and I thought, what is this? is bonkers. This is, yeah. I mean, it really was. If I was um, like the vast majority of people, I suppose, you know, not a, a Labour Party member or whatever, and took a cursory interest in all these things, and I suddenly switched and I saw, oh, goodness me, there's, there's this is a nice lady, nice Jewish lady, has been elected to this body in the Labour Party, but all these Jewish people are attacking her. Mm -hmm. What on earth is going on? Jewish there? people. You see, and, yeah. well, and non-Jewish people, but I, I suppose the, I, my question is: is that why is? I mean, you you explained the historical coming mm -hmm. together in terms in times of crisis, the Warsaw mm -hmm. Ghetto. Um, but what is it that now divides? Because how is it in the context of the British Labour Party? You can have the Jewish Voice for Labour, your organisation, mm -hmm. and the Jewish. Labour movement. Why? Why is there this is what people don't understand is why has there yes. been this great fallout? Is it primarily Israel or is it something else? Mm. Or, or, okay. Or well, the Jewish labour movement is Poalazion renamed. Um it, it after the formation foundation of the state of Israel, the I suppose the need for um a, a Zionist organization linked to the Labour Party became less urgent really the tension shifted elsewhere and um for it sort of fell into abeyance in 2004 apparently i wasn't i wasn't paying attention at the time but i understand this is what happened um the group the group that remained dropped the name policy on and changed to jewish labor movement but it remained dormant it didn't play any role that um that, that was noticeable in the labor party at all however in 2016 just after the election of Jeremy Corbyn to the leadership of the Labour Party, this website appeared. It sprung to life. 
<clears throat> with allegations of anti-Semitism against the Oxford University Labour Club, where um, people had passed a motion in support of students who wanted to hold some events for Israeli Apartheid Week. That's where it began. I mean, honestly, the, the accusations that were made against the Oxford University Labour Club have been investigated and found to be almost entirely fabrications. We face a lot of fabrication and exaggeration, which is tragic because if there is real anti-Semitism, yeah. it needs to be identified yeah. and talked about yeah. and, you know, dealt with. But instead of which we've got this mad idea of zero tolerance, which is a totally discredited idea in, in sort of pedagogy you know if you want to teach people stuff you don't just say oh my god you just said a bad word leave the class how would anybody learn so <laughs> zero tolerance is a discredited idea and it's foolish well of what course zero tolerance some might be uh, might argue is being practiced by some policeman against the odd demonstrator who's holding up a sign saying not my uh, king so we yes, can see where all this kind of madness leads yes. but i mean well, yes you know, indeed so, so you've got the Jewish Labour Movement. We are not an affiliate. We're a, a group which which sprung up in order to say, oh, there they are. Yes, that's their oh, reaction the, to me. This, this was the reaction, which is which is what I saw. And, yeah, and that's I thought, right. You know what? And then I saw um, a tweet from Margaret Hodge, who, by the way, I I remember back in the days being an extremely hardline left wing socialist. Who was um, we even had the red flag that she used to fly over Islington Town Hall and the Tribune office. Mm. Um, I used to know Margaret Hodge back in the day. I could not understand. Again, when I was uh, working for the UN, I thought, "What on earth has happened to her? Why has she gone? Why has she gone crazy like this?" But anyway, there you had this um, that statement from Jewish uh, the Jewish Labour movement condemning your victory That's as a right. Jewish socialist. Which seems right. utterly bizarre. Um, That's right. And uh, pe people, people really don't understand this. So yeah, I'm just. Right. But when you you took that back a moment ago to the to this Oxford mm -hmm. Labour Club and yeah. it's 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 effectively saying um, uh, apartheid is being practiced by Israel. Mm -hmm. Well, of course we now know because the United Nations says it is too. The special rapporteur for the Palestinians mm. says it is. Amnesty International says it is. Everybody mm. in the world says it is. Haaretz says it is. Everybody, more or less, is saying mm. apartheid is being practiced in by Israel mm. in the Palestinian territories. Mm. So you can't be, you can't have organisations uh, attached to the Labour Party, surely, saying, oh, that's anti-Semitic. I mean, this is uh, a okay, special okay. kind of madness. I did want to pick you up on that because you, you asked why can Luke Akers, who's job is promoting an organization that was called Louise's in Israel. Yes, this Louise yeah. asked this question. That's, no, that's yeah. right. And she's absolutely... Now, see, and I think, and this surprises some people, although the Jewish Labour Movement, the Board of Deputies of British Jews, the Jewish Leadership Council, a whole host of other sort of mainstream Jewish groups think that I should be expelled, right, and anybody who thinks like me, we actually <clears> don't <throat> think they should be expelled. We think they, they have the right to express their views, which we think are deeply misguided, and they should debate them. They don't, you see. They mm. never answer the question. They throw at us things like, so you don't believe in the right of Israel to exist? And I'm thinking, what does that even mean? You know, Israel is a state that's been in existence for 70 years now, at great cost to the Palestinian people, of course. One can definitely question the structure of that state, the, 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 the legitimacy of that state in many ways. You can question that mm -hmm. and people should be free to do so. 
if you want to defend it, defend it. Don't just say you've questioned the legitimacy of our state, therefore you're an anti-Semite, therefore you are vermin and don't deserve to be debated with. So I'm absolutely happy for the JLM to continue as part of the of the Labour Party. I just don't accept their their right to speak for every other Jew. And the same applies to the Israeli state, actually. It does not have the right to speak for the Jews of the world. There is a global Jewish network of many groups from all over the world who are coming together and saying, this this state does not represent us. Zionism does not. You could also us. say the same about the British Board of Deputies, who also mm -hmm. condemned your election, and and oh, was yes. apparently telling the the National Executive Committee which committees you should be on or which oh, yes. committees you should not be on, which is quite extraordinary because I suddenly was transported back to the nineteen eighties and the Catholic Church um, telling um, Labour MPs which way they should vote on abortion oh. issue abortion. And I thought that the British Labour Party and the socialist tradition really had nothing to do with um, religious uh, figures telling <laughs> telling people what to think, what to do. But look, here we have um, one or two other questions. If we can get them in, um, okay. This goes. This is um, Andy. Well, another quick point from Mr. Roger Waters. What a pleasure to be able to sit here in Vancouver, being educated Hi, by this extraordinary, eloquent woman. Um, Andy in Newcastle asked, Jewish Voice for Labour have been incredible allies for Palestinians in the UK, have proudly and unapologetically stood up for Palestinian rights. Would it be fair to say that British Jews can only do so much in helping Palestinians reclaim the narrative? Um, isn't it time for there to be an organisation loudly and proudly institutionalising Palestinian voices in the UK, whether it be officially affiliated to the Labour Party or not? So is that is that a sort of call for like, something like Palestine solidarity to be affiliated to the Labour Party. I think that's, well, that's, that's, a, that's a very intelligent and interesting question. I mean, there is a Palestinian solidarity campaign, obviously, which does quite a lot of good work. There are many small local groups active, um, twinning, twinning with Palestinian communities, bringing people over to explain to communities here what it's like to live under occupation or with or indeed within the uh, the boundaries which have never been properly defined of Israel um what it's like to be a Palestinian refugee living abroad and, and wanting your right of return to 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 reclaim your your um your homeland um yeah so but yeah see Labour Party policy as dictated by the conference last year um, is very much in support of of Palestinian rights it questions where, um, the arms trade with Israel it acknowledges the apartheid analysis although it doesn't sort of adopt it exactly and it talks about the need for some sort of some sort of sanctions which is quite a big step because to talk about boycotting Israel is regarded as um, you know people say oh it's just like the Nazis boycotting Jews but you see, a state is not a person. Israel is not a person. So I, I totally dispute. The well, idea well, also, I mean, it, it, Israel, as we know, like South Africa was, is uh, in breach of um, international law repeatedly. Yeah, um, South Africa, as we know, was subject to sanction, as was um, Southern Rhodesia. Um, and many people are saying the same should be happening now with Israel because time mm -hmm. and it is occupying Palestinian lands, you know, quite illegally. Um, Let's we have, we've got another couple of comments here. This is from somebody who's calling him, him or herself Tosh Tosh. I'm wondering if it's perhaps Tosh, the former Aslef 
General Secretary. <laughs> but I suspect not. Anyway, Maybe not. this is why they try and deplatform Jewish Voice for Labour because organisations such as JLM don't debate because they fear debate, as it as it shows them up for what they are. Well, that's more or less what you were saying, um, Naomi. But you were quite happy to debate them, and you wish you could. Um, we we have offered over and over again. One of the interesting things that came out in the Ford report, which uh, it's a bit complicated, but the Ford report was set up by Keir Starmer two years ago, more than two years ago, to look into a report that had been leaked about the internal workings of Labour, which seemed to indicate that there was a bureaucracy within which was deliberately undermining Jeremy Corbyn and which was using anti-Semitism allegations to destabilise the, the, the left of the party and so on and so on. And the Ford report came out after long delays a couple of weeks ago and said, yeah, that was happening. I mean, it also said on the one hand, on the other hand, because that's what official reports tend to do. But but it's um, I've forgotten where I was going with this. One of the things it said yeah. was that it's unfortunate that education or training, they tend to say, it's an awful word. You train dogs to jump through hoops. You educate <laughs> human beings. Yes. But the, <laughs> the Jewish labor movement runs training for <laughs> Labour Party members, which the Ford report said is of questionable value. It's yes, top-down didactic. Yeah. And it actually said, the Ford report actually said, it was regrettable that Jewish Voice for Labour's expertise in this area had not been called upon. And, you know, th this is the situation that we face. They don't, they don't, even in their education sessions, they don't, won't let people ask sensible questions. You know, it's it, just, you know, watch a video, just, tick boxes. You know what, I mean... Naomi, you're going to go on the NEC shortly. You'll the, the horrors of it, the the interminable boredom of it, of course, as well. But also the hilarious moments. You know, I used to sit next to a bloke called Dennis Skinner. Never question people's motives. You always said that it was mm -hmm. the best advice you could ever give. Never question mm -hmm. people's motives. But you're going to you're going to be right in there, having to deal with all of this sort of stuff, dealing with um, a cumbersome structure with mach often machine politicians, with some wonderful trade union people who really always want the best yeah. and hope they're going to get a Labour government at last and seem to spend 20 years usually waiting for them when they come along like a like a late bus, uh, not much gets off the bus. But, you know, <laughs> you've got all of that. And unfortunately, because you know, I'm listening to you thinking, do you know what, you are a wonder, Naomi, and you, you remind me so much of so many of the people I grew up with in the Labour Party. Mm -hmm. But um, so many, like you, have now left because you're just banging your head against the brick wall, against mm -hmm. some really quite thuggish people. Mm -hmm. And actually, I I sometimes sit back and I think, you know, I don't like the idea of some of these people having their hands near power. They, they are, mm -hmm. they've got an authoritarian streak in them. And, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, you mentioned um, Jeremy Corbyn. I, I've known him for 20, like you, for years and years and years. I've known him for about 25 years. I wouldn't, I was a tribunite. I was never a Corbynite. I mm -hmm. voted for Jeremy um, because he was the only person was, when he was standing who was, you know, really believed in what he was saying. And I thought, well, he's break away from the Blair years. The idea that he is some kind of anti Semite is so absurd. Um, and I think that, um, well, I don't know, I, I don't know if you're allowed to answer this question now. But mm. I don't know. You think he should be let back in the Labour Party, says Keith in Doncaster. <laughs> but don't answer that if it will get you into trouble. So I'll leave oh, that with me doing the NEC. Keep up the brilliant. Isn't this <laughs> to ask the question that we might get into trouble? But anyway, we'll move on from that. 
Um, okay. Look, uh, what else should we... While you're pondering, shall I say yes. something about briefly about the NEC? But I yes. thought it was quite amusing. The, the Mail Online did a, I'm sorry, the Mail on Sunday did a piece attacking me for, you know, daring to be elected to the NEC. And they had this line about, you know, this powerful body, she will have a direct influence <laughs> on Labour Party policy. I'm thinking, yeah. you don't really know how political parties, or certainly the Labour Party, no. work. The NEC is indeed. Mm formally the governing body of the party between conferences between annual conferences mm -hmm. in fact <laughs> it meets irregularly it gets it, it's like you know that old thing about being treated like mushrooms they keep us in the dark and shovel us with <laughs> shit it, it, it's um you know I, I know because you know people i've spoken to who've, who've mm -hmm. been in there recently maybe it may have been different in your day the actual power of the body as a whole is denuded and the influence of, of the left is tiny i mean do you realize yeah. it's got about 40 yeah. members we've got we've got four on the left in the constituency section we've got four on the right in the constituency section we've got one kind of middle of the road person and then you've got maybe four or five left-wing trade union representatives the rest aren't and then you've got a mass of labor um, mps and you've got councillors and you've got representatives from the regions our voice is going to be minute and anyway yes. policy insofar as members have any influence on it is devolved to national policy forums which have been pretty well stripped of any yes, you can, you actual can only, influence on manifesto no, no, you can on. only ever really use it as a as a platform unfortunately you, the policy function was taken away a long time ago there used to be the yeah. policy the home policy committee and all this and actually made policy they had serious people who came in from the trade union movement academics you know there was, there was a whole raft of policy in the labor history museum if you go there you see the preparation that was being made in the middle of the second world war by the shadow cabinet of the nec they had a government program ready together i doubt there's hardly any policies being put together by people who know what they're talking about now um, Jenny mm. and Mary Paul, she said, what was it like to try to persuade Tony Blair not to invade Iraq? Well, this is a little uh, something for you, Naomi, because it was actually impossible. What would happen is that, mm. um, well, just for, just very briefly, we're on, oh, just very briefly, what happened was that I got together with um, the, the then president of the uh, General Assembly in New York and Robin Cook, and we put together a resolution calling essentially for the Secretary General to rule as to whether Britain joining in a US invasion would be legal or not. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was ruled out of order, not once, not ah. twice, but three times. The, all we could do, um, Jenny, in Maryport, is to publicise and stand up for what we believed in and, and use, yeah. the, uh, use the office that we held to do that. So Nadia yeah. in Leeds has a question. I think this is a really, really uh, interesting question, especially mm -hmm. when you look at what's happening in Hungary, for instance. What does Naomi think about the growing alliance between far-right movements uh -huh. who often entertain anti-Semitic tropes and the Israeli right? And what does this say about the claims of organisations like the ruling Conservative Party to be committed to the fight against anti-Semitism? Ah, yes. Now, this is a, a really major and very dangerous development um basically well actually if you go right back to the beginning of the zionist movement it depends on the existence of anti-semitism you can't have a zionist movement calling jews to come together and go and set up a state somewhere other than where they 
they previously lived, unless you you can propose it as being a solution to anti-Semitism. So without anti-Semitism, there isn't really any need for Zionism. Okay, I'm, that that may seem a bit bit confused, but basically what's happened now is you have in many countries, America is a very good example. You have far right organizations and movements, many Christian evangelicals sadly come into this category, people with extremely conservative reactionary views on social questions who are ardently supportive of Israel. There's a sort of messianic religious base to some of this, these beliefs. So Christian Zionism actually predates Zionism as an aspiration for Jewish people, as a political aspiration for Jewish people. There's always a sort of spiritual hankering for a, a biblical Jerusalem, biblical Zion, but that's quite different. And you do have some very religious Jews who regard political Zionism actually seizing by military might a state as anathema, as a sort of um, actually a, a anti-Jewish thing to, to believe it. Anyway, sorry, I'm straying. But so you have this idea that the that there's a biblical prophecy that Christ will come again when all the Jews of the world are gathered in Zion, the ingathering of the exiles. And there are Christian Zionist movements, millions of them. I'm not talking about a few cranks talking about the mass base of Trump, for example. Millions mm. of people who believe that Israel is sort of working towards the realisation of that prophecy by encouraging Jews to come from all over the world and settle in Israel. And when Christ comes again, you know, before the horsemen of the apocalypse and Armageddon and all that will happen, and hooray, <laughs> um, all the people who are not believers in Christ will be wiped out, including the Jews who helped but then didn't convert, you know. And those who believe will will ascend. They call they actually call it the rapture. They will ascend to live with God in heaven and it will be wonderful. Um, and this is <laughs> it's I'm sorry, it feels really weird, but there are whole there are films about this and books about this and people who go to Israel praying for this to happen, they want it to happen. And that mm. aligns with other sort of aspects of, of far-right politics, which are deeply racist. So you have people who can combine hatred of all non-white, non-Christian religions and ethnicities with support for the Israeli state. And in some of them, mm. the, the clever ones, it's, it's quite explicit, you know, Oh, great! It's a white supremacist state. It's suppressing its uh, uh, EDL. I mean, minority. in this country, the yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, Tommy Robinson. There are pictures of yeah. him in Israel with a gun in front of a tank, saying, "Yay, go Israel!" Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it isn't. It, it's awful for people who are well-meaning Zionists who sort of believe. I know my old mum used mm -hmm. to say, "Oh, but we have to have a home to go to." There's a fear. The fear is real. I hope that people watching this realise Jews have a long history of persecution, which has led to genocide against them. It's not something you can take lightly. It really isn't. So if people are brought up with this, uh, this, this belief that the answer to that is the creation of a state where Jews will be perpetually in the majority and able to, to, to rule, then you know that's that's going to be the saving of you when the next Hitler comes. Mm. Unfortunately, there are people for whom the the perpetuation of that fear is kind of it's necessary. 
for their for their political existence. Mm. So they they keep keep on stoking the fear. Naomi, I wonder, we haven't got a a huge amount of time left, sadly, but I I wanted to come back. There's one quick, because Roger Waters mentioned this in one of his points, um, the IHRA definition of Mm -hmm. anti-Semitism. You were talking about the historical persecution of the Jews, and you can quite understand why people want to be absolutely clear about anti-Semitism and to stamp it Mm -hmm. out and to clearly know what it is. Now, um, you know, we have a situation... For instance, uh, today, the United Nations General Assembly, the new elected president is a Hungarian diplomat. Hungary has the presidency. Um, the deputy mm-hmm. presidency is held by Israel. And one mm-hmm. of the on their agenda this year is to try and get the United Nations to adopt the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism. We'll see if that happens. It seems fairly unlikely, but who knows? It seems fairly unlikely that that would happen. Tell me, though. What does it actually mean? And is there any truth in the fact that uh, the architect of the definition is actually rather concerned about its usage, uh, how it's being used um, by in some quarters now? Can you tell us something about yes. that? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yes, the gentleman called there he is, Kenneth Stern. He was one of the main lead authors of a document which was put together, oh my goodness, it must be 2011, 12, I don't, I don't know exactly when. May say it in that article. And it was meant to sort of aid people who were trying to monitor incidences of anti Semitism all over the world. And, you know, it was becoming quite um, a common belief that some people use hatred of Israel as an excuse to cloak their real hatred of Jews. I mean, I think that is a very minuscule element in what's going on in the world. But People believed it was true. And, and it is true, of course, that every time Israel slaughters a few thousand Palestinians, genuinely anti-Semitic incidents do increase in, in, in frequency, unfortunately, because people wrongly believe that Jews are responsible for what Israel does. That's in the context. So this definition, which before it was adopted by the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance in 2016, it was it had already been sort of pushed around by various Zionist groups. We encountered it going back years before that. And it was put before a body called the European Union Monitoring Committee on Xenophobia and Racism. As a, and they had it on their website for a while as a working definition. But it, it didn't work as a working definition because, as Kenneth Stern, a bit like Robert Oppenheimer helping to develop the atomic bomb and then thinking, oh my God, what have I done? Kenny Stearns looked at the way his his document has been distorted and used to crush debate in universities. I mean, this is he's an academic. He, he's expressed his horror at this many times on public platforms in letters to Congress. So, but what this definition does is it has a, a few words which are virtually incomprehensible. I can't remember them off the top of my head, but it says things like, anti-Semitism may be conceived as or may be expressed as hostility to and it says things like to Jews Jewish and non-Jewish institutions and you you read this thing it tells you nothing so because it tells you nothing there are then a whole load of examples attached to it which may it says and this is the form in which it was um, adopted by the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance 
which these are examples of what how uh, anti-Semitism may present itself in modern society. And there are 11 examples, four of which are incontrovertible, you know, accusing Jews of being responsible for all the ills of the world, saying that Jews dominate finance, the media and traditional stuff. Um, or calling for the extermination of Jews, that sort of thing. Yes, we agree, that's anti-Semitic. Then there are seven examples which are all to do with Israel. You must not suggest that what Israel does is anything like the Nazis did to Jews. You must not sign up to um, boycotting because that would be anti-Semitic. You must not deny Israel its right to exist, or you must not question the establishment what is it? It's uh, you must not call, call into question the um, project of establishing a state of Israel. And it, it goes on and on with these weasel words that can be so easily and are being used to just chill any kind of discussion about Palestine. It's basically saying to the Palestinians, we don't want to hear from you. What Israel has meant to you is not to be spoken about, because how can Palestinians express their own experience of dispossession and oppression if they can't criticize the basis of the state which is doing the oppressing that's what the, that's the danger of what the ihra definition does and there is a much better alternative knocking around now in response to that a, a large group an international group of Jew, mainly Jewish scholars have produced the Jerusalem Declaration on Anti-Semitism, which has its own website. It's long and rather wordy, but it's it's a genuine attempt to say, what do we really need to know about anti-Semitism if we're really going to combat it? And telling Palestinians just to shut up and not speak is not the way. Yeah, I don't... I've completely forgotten what the question was now. Well, no, I think you've, you've answered it. It's, you've answered it pretty well, which is to explain the IHRA yeah. definition. Um, the fact that Kenneth Stern, its key author now, is really concerned about how it's being implemented, yeah. and rolled out in universities up and down the land in this country and elsewhere yeah. too. Um, yes, it's uh, it's a pretty pretty state now. Some some people are asking, uh, can we catch up on this show? You certainly can. It, it, uh, you will. We, we, the, the, it is. It has been recorded. Go to the Palestine Deep Dive website, um, and you will see it in total. Um, now, I just thought because sadly mm -hmm. we have to bring this to an end. Um, one, one final question, actually, mm -hmm. that the given the, the given the history of Jewish socialist involvement in the British labour movement and labour movements right across. Including today is Bernie Sanders in the Democratic Party in America. What a great man he is! And the thing is, what's very difficult for people to understand is how it is that um, anti-Semitism has become this almost. It's been described as a weapon that's being thrown around mm -hmm. in a most gratuitous and dangerous way. Um, that that exaggerating, over-exaggerating anything can do. Um, if you're if you're not serious about it, if you're using it to attack other people because you disagree with them over Palestine or whatever it might be, um, do you think this whole period, which has been really deeply unpleasant for everybody, but particularly for Jewish people, um, do do you think this has really quite damaged relations uh, amongst people? Because you know you, um, people are very worried. There's this anti-Semitism everywhere, but 
for those of us brought up in the British Labour Party, we we just didn't see it. It wasn't mm. around. Mm. Uh, this yeah. is oh, well, of course, the answer to that, Mark, is that that was before Jeremy Corbyn came along, and thousands of anti-Semites flocked into the party. That's what oh, they say. Right, so, so saying well, that you've been in the party well, for decades and didn't see any, that's irrelevant, yeah. man. Well, um, um, yeah, I suppose. I, yeah. It I, is I'm, very damaging. It's damaging yeah. to relations between different sections of the community. It is divisive. Uh, we've now got black and Muslim members who are in a ferment of fury because their concerns have been completely sidelined, as for this, this Ford report thing I mentioned earlier, as that report indicates, uh, because the bureaucracy was fanatical about perceived anti-Semitism, failing to deal with real anti-Semitism over and over again. There are cases where people have said, we've got a Holocaust denier in our branch. What are you going to do about it? Oh, let's have a look at his credentials. Oh, he's a right winger. No, no, he's fine. He can carry on. But while dreaming up all sorts of things about, about people on the left, um, incredibly divisive and damaging. And honestly, one of the things I pitched when I was standing for, for the election to the NEC, apart from the fact that I want to improve communication with members for, about what goes on in the NEC, was um, <laughs> that, you know, members need to have their voices heard and we need to deal with the, with the division that this has sown. How can you put yourself forward as a party of government if you can't even manage divisions within your own organisation? Well, yes. A very, mm. a, a, a very, very good point. Do you know when we first started this conversation, Amy? I was worried. I thought, "Oh my goodness, she's going to go in right into into the into the lion's den." But I, I, I have a feeling that they're going to be listening to you, uh, and you, you're. Uh, <laughs> I think you're going to make some great headway. By the way, I just remember us. We were talking uh, all the years ago when I was elected. Um, there was a great campaign to try and stop myself and this Davies, who you probably know, is a lawyer oh, yeah, and really? member of the North, yeah. uh, Islington Labour Party and what have you. Yes, they indeed. did try and stop us. They weren't as vile to us as they have been to you. Um, but I do remember on the first meeting of the NEC was at the Labour Party conference in Blackpool in the Imperial Hotel. And they put myself and Liz and another couple of truculent lefties uh, opposite Tony Blair and the Shadow Cabinet. And behind Blair and the Shadow Cabinet were these huge windows with the sun beaming in. And we couldn't even see Blair and the rest of them. We were being, even then, it was the equivalent of shining a torch into our eyes or, or a lamp. So you're, you, are, you are walking, into, <laughs> you're very brave. Yes, and, uh, yes. we, we well, I will be polite and civil, as I always the try to be, Mum. Absolutely. Yes, well, you don't need to try. You clearly are. And that advice from Dennis Skinner about never doubting people's and you know intentions yeah. or whatever. I think it's probably that's the best advice anybody yes. could say. But you know, good Thank luck. You. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for all of you uh, tonight from wherever you've been. We've uh, people from all over the world, uh, from Vancouver, of course. Um, <laughs> all over the world thank you so much for for joining us uh here at palestine deep dive thank you so much also to omar to alex to ahmed to, for making this happen um Naomi, we wish you the very best of luck we hope you'll come on again and um you'll, you'll always have a you'll always have a space here thank i'll be coming to you for advice mark with your background in history thanks thank you take care bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.